I don't know about you, but I have always loved the idea of having a conversation with a working actor about their process. We are starting a series called Conversations on Acting, and some of the actors who've agreed to talk to us are Chris Carmack, Mark Ruffalo, Margot Martindale, Sean Astin, and more. Conversations on Acting is a live conversation with working actors, allowing you to ask them questions. And the way you can participate in these conversations is by signing up for our monthly subscription on our website, idontneedanactingclass.com. Welcome to I Don't Need an Acting Class with Milton Justice. So I noticed, I noticed last night in my Choral Society rehearsal, and we're doing a fairly complicated piece by Rayfon Williams uh, called The Sea Symphony or A Sea Symphony, and the, the Woids are by Walt Whitman, and it's really complicated music. We started rehearsing it before the pandemic hit. And in fact, we had rehearsal on Tuesday night at the end of rehearsal. John said, so unless there's, you know, something further, we will see each other next week. And so that was two years ago. And the interesting thing about it was getting back to a piece of music that we worked on two years ago is that was three years ago. Oh, my God. Three years ago. God. but. We didn't know it, but we knew it enough that suddenly getting back to it, it was a really strong rehearsal. I found myself being very confident about the notes and very confident. Fortunately, it's in English. But I mean, it was it was like the rhythms and the notes, and I thought, that's really what happens to us is the more we do it, the more confident we get. And that's what we need to get. I'm so happy that we're together so we can ask the questions that we ask. Farah asked the question, can you overwork an exercise? You really cannot ever overwork an exercise because two years later, or as Tamara pointed out, three years later, there's something you missed. Yes, Vera. How do you know when you're doing it wrong? And sometimes I can catch myself, but then when I'm done, I'm like, what if I'm doing this wrong all this time and I'm just um strengthening the wrong muscle then i'll tell you <laughs> look it's such an interesting question farah how do i know if i'm doing it well i i don't know the answer to that question sometimes i feel like it's not quite right and because i feel like it's not quite right i'm working until it feels like it might it, it is right and other uh, other things is, and, and I do think the importance of studying is 
it helps give you an educated relationship to what you're doing. I mean, here's the thing, and I realize this is really the thing. It's the reason I'm really glad that uh, Brady and Amanda saw Top Dog Underdog and Carson saw the collection is that seeing good acting is really important because it's important to know what it looks like. I think one of the things you all have a problem is you haven't seen good acting. It's like you don't know what it looks like. You know what it looks like in movies, but I don't think movies count when it comes to acting. I mean, you don't have to act to be in a movie. Hence, <laughs> dear well-meaning Austin Butler, who I do nothing but feel sorry for. I feel sorry for him because he was badly instructed on how to do that part. He did not learn anything about acting. He will not be able to do another part because he spent, what, three years preparing for this one? Nobody should have to spend three years to prepare for a part. And it's because he has no technique. He has no craft. He has no tools. He doesn't know how to work on a part. Yes, Tamara. Now compare that with Colin Firth, who also won a Golden Globe. Do you think he's in the same boat, or do you think he has the technique? He does have the technique. I mean, first of all, he's been working forever. And listen, one of the things the Brits have that we don't have is, you know, there's the famous line that Olivier said to Dustin Hoffman, why don't you try acting, dear boy? We don't have actors in movies who turn to another actor and, and tell them something. I, I, although I have to tell you, I, it's in uh, my book. When Chris Bedrovsky, I, I tell this story because it just cracked me up. It, he doesn't even remember it. But when he did the first episode of Madam Secretary, he was so nervous and he was so upset and he worked so hard. And he was so clear about his action and they rehearsed a scene. And, you know, Tim Daly could barely remember lines. I mean, it wasn't, he couldn't remember lines. He just didn't know them. It was like, now what's the line again? And anyway, Chris was so clear about his action. And then the first time they rehearsed it, Tim Daly looked at him and said, Chris, there are two of us here. And of course, I mean, it, it's like, it's a weird thing. But that, I mean, it was such a helpful thing. Because he was so busy playing the character and busy playing the action and busy, you know, being so focused, he forgot it was a scene. And so he had an older, more experienced actor say to him, there are two of us here. And so that, you know, he, it made a difference. So we don't have, I mean, Farah, the problem is we don't have those actors who would turn to you and, and say, honey, you're trying too hard. You know, we we don't have Dame Judy Dench turning to a young actor and said, just relax and, and trust yourself. You know, whatever it is that older actors say to younger actors. Yes, Brady. I, um, we all go through those like self, self-doubt spirals where like every now and then you're like, I can't, I can't do this. I don't know that I'll ever be hired. I don't know, you know, like, like just get out of there. 
And I was going through one of them, and of course, I'm reading Long Day's Journey, and then I watched the produ- the production that was the '87 cast with Jack Lemmon. That long three-hour thing of it, I'm sitting here going like, I'll never be able to do that. I can't do that, you know. And it's like, well, he's great, and he was also sixty something, and he'd been doing it for fifty fucking years. So I'm sitting here like, why am I expecting that I'm gonna walk in somewhere and be like, let me play that role tomorrow? Come on, I can do it, guys. I can't do it. I got another forty years before I can do it. <laughs> like, slow down, settle down. I know. No, it's, I said this, I think I, no, I didn't say it to Carson. I said it to Rashad. I said, I, you know, I remember Stella saying to actors, you're at step one, you want to be at step eight. There's nothing you can do to keep from going from step two to step seven. I said to Rashad today, w- because he was all, th- you know, going through this very difficult period about, I don't know if I want to struggle and blah, 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 blah. And I said, Estella said to another actor, so this has been going on forever because I was in class with Stella in the 70s. And she said, darling, you know, you want all of the pleasure and none of the pain. It is difficult. It is difficult. My God, it's difficult. It's like trying to find a moment is impossible. I think that's one of the most difficult parts of it. And it's really difficult because nobody understands what the hell we're doing. Now, nobody understands how difficult it is to find a moment and that we know we don't have it. I worry less, Farah, about you doing an exercise wrong than you getting frustrated by feeling like you're not getting something and not knowing that that's part of it. I mean, look, we're, we're, we're digging deep here. You know, basically what we have said is, I don't want to just be a journeyman. I don't want to just be somebody who gets a job. I mean, I, I want to be an actor. And my God, you take that on your shoulders, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. I mean, it took Amanda forever before she'd actually work in class and talk out. And it's just like, that's huge. Laura still assures me that one day she's going to be there. It took Karim two and a half years before he started working in class, maybe three years. It, it's, you know, it's very difficult what we do. I always felt sorry for Chris Petrovsky because I taught him very well not to listen to anyone. And that was really important. Uh, two things I taught him. One, he said, one, one of them was, I, I said, don't you have an assignment for Tim's class? It was teaching technique one or two or some damn thing. And he said, oh, no, I did that exercise. Well, that was just me going off. That was a half an hour. I said, there is no such thing as I did that exercise. Now, that's very difficult to understand. It's very difficult to understand that I've given you 20 commencement speeches and you could do all 20. 
you could do, okay, I've done this one and I learned something for that. Now I'm going to try another one. All right, I did that one. Now I'm going to try another one because you do not get these, these concepts by doing them once. When you do, if you did, how many commencement extras, speeches do we have? What, 20 or something? If you did all of them, you would have such an incredible sense of looking at texts and being able to figure out what a sequence of thoughts is, how you go from one thought to the next, and how you begin to get a sense of what the size of an idea is. I mean, what an amazing thing. What an amazing thing to know. But here's the issue, and here's something I learned from Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> As part of my fascinating life, I lived in the same building that Leonard Bernstein did. And so he had a rehearsal studio on my floor. And so do you know who Leonard Bernstein was, Carson? Oh, God. It's just sad. You gotta Google faster than that, Carson. You gotta <laughs> Google faster than that. All right. So Leonard Bernstein was one of the great conductors in the history of civilization. Aside from writing the music to West Side Story. And he was famous. There's so much I have to teach you all. He was particularly famous for introducing Mahler, the composer, to American audiences. It was like his road into Mahler was so extraordinary. It was like Leonard Bernstein was so part of New York that Stella Adler's daughter Ellen told me this, that when he died, the funeral cortege went along FDR Drive, which goes along the east, and there was a construction site and as the funeral procession, they closed FDR Drive except for the funeral procession. And as the funeral procession went by, all of the workers on a building took off their hats. I mean, he he was he was the most. I mean, I mean, his his fame in New York was unbelievable. I mean, it's around the world. He he was famous. You can still see them, and you should probably watch them, Carson, on YouTube. He did young people's concerts, in which he introduced young people to classical music. I mean, everything about Lenny was just fun, and he was sexy, and he had other issues. Uh, but I heard uh, that he was going to be playing the piano for a performance of Rhapsody in Blue. And his rehearsal room was on the floor where I lived at the Dakota. And so I thought, oh, this is cool. I can hear Lenny practice. How cool is that? And so when I'm went to kind of hover down the hall 
to hear him practice, all he was doing were scales. He wasn't playing the piece. He was he I heard which is the first thing I learned when I started taking the piano. So I mean that's it. It's like he knew that what he needed to do were the scales. He didn't need to play the piece of music. He needed to do the scales. Now, yes, these things are not easy to do, and sometimes they're tedious. However, you start to challenge yourself, I think, by saying, I can make this really interesting. I can go back and do I Love the Beach one more time and kick ass with it. And, and that's, that's when you suddenly, you have that feeling, you say, that's it. And you have to know, based on, this is where I am today in my development as an actor. Am I ready to go to Broadway? No. Am I better than anybody else? Yes, because none of them have done this exercise and none of them can do this exercise that well. I was talking to Chris Petrosky about this, and I've talked to you all about this before. I think one of the reasons that he and I both did well is because we had no expectations. I was shocked that somebody hired me. I, really, every job I ever had, I couldn't believe I got hired. It's like, I don't know how I was beaten to death by my father. Well, Actually, I told Rashad this today. I said, no, here's what you have to understand. I said, I built, I was built up, built up, built up, built up, built up. I was going to do my first Broadway play. I wasn't even 30. I was the first one of my friends who was on Broadway producing a play. I mean, I thought I had kicked ass. I mean, it was, and it was a Tennessee Williams play. I mean, it was, it was like, you know, I, you know, this is it. I'm on my way. Play closed in four days. Okay, now second play. Second time. I'm now with my two best friends from school. Jack wrote the play. Garland was directing it. Our friend John Arnone designed the set. I mean, it was like us. We'd gone to college together, and here we were on Broadway. And I thought to myself, well, I already had one flop. That's it. I got that out of the way. So this one's bound to be a hit. Also a flop. So bless his heart, well-meaning, my father's comment to me was, well, Milty, you had two flops. Maybe the universe is trying to tell you something. And the interesting thing, I was saved by somebody who lived in my building. He was a producer from a million years ago. He was Billy Rose, who was married to Fanny Bryce, her second husband. He was Billy Rose's producer. And I was walking into the building as he was walking out of the building. And he looked at me and he said, hey, kid, nobody said it was going to be easy. And that was it.
saved. And I'm telling you, after the second one, I went to, I, I, I say now, overly theatrically dramatic, I went to bed for a month. But it's like, I didn't leave the apartment. And Garland, I didn't hear from him. And about a month later, he called and he said, let's have dinner. And so Jack and Garland and I had dinner. And he said, well, I've decided to stay in the theater. And I didn't even know he'd given up. And he'd gone to St. John for a month. He had a fabulous tan. But at any rate, he'd gone to the Bahamas for a month. And... And, you know, look, eventually Garland became the artistic director of the Guthrie. And, I mean, it was like, there are all these periods you go through where you're just, you know, it's difficult. And you're not sure, and you don't know you're going to do it. You know at the end of the day you have no choice but to do it. But, it, you know, it's not like everybody hasn't gone through it. I said to Rashad today, I said, listen, watch Steve Jobs' commencement speech. I mean, it's brilliant. And it, it's all about how he failed. It's all about how he failed and how important it was. <clears throat> so, I mean, that's really the issue. This is not a profession for the faint of heart. Every single time somebody gives up acting, there's a small chorus on the side going, yay, more parts for me. So that's it. The field is littered with the bodies of people who gave up acting. And nobody cares. So it's just, it's endless. I Don't Need an Acting Class is created and hosted by Milton Justice. Producer is me, Walker Vreeland, and director of online media is Evan Sollers. Music is by Jeffrey Kieser. And for more info on Jeffrey's work, you can go to jeffreykieser.com. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Uh, you can find us online, I don't need an acting class.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, and uh, you can continue to send your questions to Milton at questionsformilton at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you back here next week.